Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Higgs, aka Escape in the Matrix. In this episode of Real Talk and Conversation with today's candidates, I welcome on my guest, a candidate for Atlanta District 5 City Council, Ms. Katie Cassell. Katie brings real neighborhood organizing experience, working hard to bring neighbors together to compromise, practicing intentionality and addressing issues of equity in the arenas of which she has a voice, and honoring the course that our great civil rights leaders of Atlanta has set on us that empowers all our citizens to thrive. Welcome, Katie, onto the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for talking with me this morning. So I guess the first question, who is Katie Cassell? And if uh, I'm saying it in the right way. What? I said if I'm saying your last name the right way. Kissel. Cassell. Kissel. You know, it's, I got to get it right. Kissel. 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 Um, yes. Uh, I would say I'm just like a regular like person. There's nothing, you know, for me, um, I grew up in uh, with a single mom below the poverty line. Um, you know, didn't have really the white picket fence uh, type of childhood. But I, I think that that's, that's probably more normal than the white picket fence, right? For most mm -hmm. people um, in this country. Um, went on, was like the first in my family to go to college. Um, decided like all I wanted in life was to make a ton of money and not struggle like my family did growing up. And then got to that point and was like, oh, man, I'm not happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I realized that there wasn't going to be a, a number for me that I was going to hit that that got me to happiness. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm truly happy when I'm making a difference when I'm helping other people. And at that point, luckily for me, um, I, I have I have a husband. I have two young children, a four and a six year old boy and girl. And luckily for me, I was at a point that I could sit down and speak with my husband and say, listen, I, I know I've been like the person, the breadwinner of our family. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to have to go a different direction. And we figured out if we made the right lifestyle changes, we could make that work. And uh, so starting, to, you know, about two years ago now, I, I just we switched it up and I started just like getting my hands into different things. I'm president of Kirkwood Neighbors Organization. I'm on the executive board of an organization called Hey, Helping Empower Youth. Um, we work with at-risk youth in the city of Atlanta. Specifically, more recently, we focus on the uh, kids known as the Water Boys. Mm -hmm. uh, I oh, am founding board member of a uh, of the Atlanta chapter of an organization called Integrated Schools Organization. I sit on the board and steering committee of Unearthing Farm and Market, an equitable urban farm here in the city of Atlanta. And, you know, then I, I try and make some money every now and then uh, working as an outreach manager for a four-cause marketing agency, essentially pairing um, large corporations 
collaborations with international and national nonprofits. Okay. Now you're not originally from Atlanta, are you? I am not. I'm not. I'm a Hoosier. I'm an Indiana girl, um, born and raised. Um, mm-hmm. Knew fairly early on that's not where I was going to live my life. Um, very small town within spitting distance of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it was definitely. Uh, very sheltered, extremely homogenous in terms of race, in terms of culture, in terms of religion. Um, it was very, very waspy uh, where I grew up and didn't really have the, um, you know, didn't have the the diversity in, in thought or otherwise that we, we get to enjoy here every day in Atlanta. So what made you want to become a, a peach? Dumb luck. Um, I think like a lot of people, I, uh, you know, in my, in my search for all the money and all the corporate, um, you know, accolades that I was going for. I, um, after college, moved to Philly mm-hmm. and um, got a really great job there, um, got a promotion and ended up, you know, if, to get the promotion, I needed to move here in Atlanta. And honestly, I would have, I would have, uh, you know, our thought was, okay, we'll be in Atlanta for a few years. Maybe we'll try and move someplace a little closer to home, like Nashville, Cincinnati, St. Louis, um, you know, not, not Southern Indiana, but like a little bit closer. And I think my husband and I were here for about six months and we realized like we're in love. Like this is where we need to be. This is where we want to raise our children. This is where we want our grandchildren to come visit us someday. Yeah, we're, we're pretty good here. I, I like to think that we are <laughs> us Southerners, us original Southerners, because we have a lot of implants now, but oh, yeah. some of us original Southerners. Because where you are, I think there's a lot of original people out there. We do have some that's moved into your area. Oh yeah, no, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, us implants. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I don't know what it, what, um, I don't know what word to use for us. I, I use assimilated. You know, there's some folks who's who come in and they assimilate and others, you know, not so much. Right. No, I welcome it. I mean, yes, you know, us country bumpkins. We laugh at some of you all when you come in and some of the infrastructure that you used to where you come, especially when it comes to snow you look for here and we laughing because you were out speeding down the highways and we're like, well, that's not a good thing because <laughs> we don't have trucks <laughs> for snow. But no. no, I welcome it because of the change that was pushed into our state, especially with the new job opportunities and stuff. Because like, you know, you and I would talk, we, I work at IC and before everything kind of blew up, it was always working at telecom companies and some of the power companies. It wasn't really like corporate, corporate IT job like IBM and Intel and stuff that was, that was here. But, um, yeah, now it's great. And then the progressive movement. So it sparked a big progressive movement because a lot of people here early on was kind of like moderate or, you know, the Republican side. I and mean, we not going to talk about them. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now the progressive movement because of the implants and stuff is big. And we see that across the state in high, highly populated areas outside of the rural areas. Some of them coming into it, but, you know, slowly but surely we'll, we'll get them changed over. Absolutely. So since you've been here, 
Like, what made you want to run for office? I mean, because you love corporate America. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I, I really felt like maybe at some point, um, you know, kind of when I was doing this switch up, I was like, yeah, you know, I could, if, if I'm not going to make any money anyway, <laughs> um, I might as well, I might as well, you know, consider serving, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, running for office is so, it's difficult. Like I knew firsthand, I saw our current, current councilwoman. I tuned mm-hmm. into those 15, 16 hour council meetings. You know, I, I was involved. I knew what it took. And I'm like, you know, not everybody's built for this. Mm-mm. You have to be able not only, I think, to relate to people. So you have to be personable. But at the same time, you have to be able to kind of take like a piece of yourself and like put it in a box and kind of keep it, keep it like close to the chest because you you can't, I mean, if you wear your heart on your sleeve in this, in this job, you're going to get, you're going to get slaughtered. Um, And so when I I looked at who I was and, and what I've done on a very, very small version of that as Kirkwood neighbors president, I like, yeah, I think I can do that. And then um, when Natalie decided to run for city council president in my district, leaving in an open seat, I mm-hmm. looked at the people who were currently running and I was like, man, I don't see any of these folks being someone I want to vote for. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's when really my phone started blowing up and people started saying like, hey, Katie, what are you doing? You going to run? And then, you know, so you, you think about it, you pray about it, you talk to your family about it, you talk to your friends and you say like, OK, yeah, I'm going to make the leap. Yeah, you need a foundation because you're right. It's, uh, serving is one thing, because even when you're serving, you still get frustrated. But then you look at the whole reason behind why you're serving, because I've did. I did a lot of community service work and I never tried to put myself in the spotlight, never try to highlight anything because I felt as though my community just needed it. And so like you and I talked about it beforehand, like I don't, and I know I should do it because <laughs> I've been told I should do it. But I'm like, if you're out helping the community out, or even if you're giving back to the homeless, it's like, why do I need to take a picture just to put on social media and to get some clout? I'm like, I'm just doing God's work. I'm just trying to I'll be out here helping people out best in need. And I think that's what we all should be doing. If you have it, I think it's an obligation upon all of us to help people out that don't have it or people that need to be informed about things taking place within the areas to better benefit them. So you're right. When you're trying to serve, you still get frustrated because when you're out there, you do see those people out there that's there just to get some FaceTime. And yes, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, like, here we go. Here we go. Let me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like why is it can we just can we I mean same as words like can we just get the job done and not make it look like we're out here just to get some clicks and some likes or whatever because I'm like you know how does it make this person feel because they're looking for people that's genuine like everybody's going through something and I talked to a lot of people that was going through a lot especially single mothers and they're trying to function between working jobs and manage their kids and manage the whole household. And then you got the two family incomes and they're trying to work and they still need some help because they got kids at home. And to see, to come out to events where there's some people giving out food because they may need food and you have people showing up with a crew of folks just to take pictures. To me, it would bother me because I've been through that, that same place before, like on the bottom. And I'm like, either you're here to help 
or you're here to take a picture. And if you're here to take a picture, I don't think you should be here. That's just my opinion. Yeah. No, it's tough. And it's definitely a push and pull. And that's why you have people who are, you know, campaign managers or or whatever, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's not what I want to do. You know, I want to be out there. I want to serve. But then, you know, there's also this other side of it, which is if you're not at the table, what can you do? Right. Right. In Mm -hmm. order to win and be at the table, this is something that is, you know, quote unquote required. So, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard balance because yeah, naturally that is not me. I don't Mm want to, I don't want to take pictures of myself really doing, you know, anything like that. um, Because it's it's not appropriate. And especially to the people you serve and, and the way I grew up is that, that kind of negates the whole purpose of serving if you're, mm-hmm. if you're promoting yourself. Um, but people, you know, I mean, we live and die by these devices you Sure do. now. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer, I, I guess is, is my main thing. I say that a lot. I don't know the answer to that one. I think what I started doing, I started asking, like once I've got done helping out, I'll say, Hey, I'm not here to try to put you out there, but do you mind if we get to take a picture and I publish your story? Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things, and I guess I'm about to reveal some of my plans, is that I think we need to start hearing uh, more from the people. Like, as opposed to you hearing stuff. Because what, I mean, we always have a story when we, like I just gave a story. When you go out on the campaign trail and it's always why I met such and such and they told me about this, what's going on. I think we need to hear more from the people. Because that way, you know, you're not out there. Even if you were out there just to get some selfies, that way the, you can hear the person's voice as opposed to hearing the story come from you. Yeah. Now, one thing you're doing, you are doing, and I didn't put it in our, our questions, that I do want you to talk about, the community garden. Yeah. Now, coming from the South, and you and I, like I said, we, we talked about this before, coming out of Macon. As a matter of fact, I talked about it with uh, Kidada, too. Coming from Macon. Even if we had home, we did have some homeless people out there. Even if we had homeless people out there, they would never go hungry in the old making, not the new, not, not the new city fight making. The old <sighs> making, they would never go hungry. And people say, well, why is it? Because we had plants, so we had fruits growing everywhere. Like, and it was just naturally, you had plums, oranges, apples, pecans. I mean, everything was just growing anyway. So even if you didn't have anything, you still had something. You wouldn't go hungry. No, it might not be the best diet. You might not get no chicken and wings and stuff like that. <laughs> like that but it'd probably be better for you than chicken <laughs> and wings. <man>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but still, now, but what you're doing now is you started a community garden. That's one thing I said we do need across this state. Because even in the rural areas and some of the urban areas, well, <laughs> what are we getting? We're getting Dollar Generals and we don't have access to not, I don't even want to say organic food, but just wholesome food that's right. nourishment for your body, not the processed stuff. Right. So let me, first of all, because again, I don't like to say I did not start a community garden. I am supporting mm-hmm. people who are working on an urban farm. All right. Okay. So because let me tell you, um, my mom remarried, you know, I, I said I, I started, I grew up, um, you know, in poverty in my mom when I was about 14, remarried a farmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I I worked out on the farm, you know, putting up hay bales and whatnot, but (laughs) 
we also had a huge garden there where I went out and weeded the garden every day. And I specifically told uh, my friend, Krista Leonard, who is kind of the project lead of this farm. I said, listen, if you need someone to come out and weed, it ain't this girl. Because uh, <laughs> now I will do all the other things. I love the animals. I raised about 25 chickens in my um, in my bathroom yes, here in do. my house. <laughs> Um, until they were, until it was warm enough and they were big enough to go outside. But um, all that being said, I would love to talk a little bit about the farm and kind of its purpose and how this is so important for politicians to to have this this point of reference um, because it is such a waste that we don't have more edible landscaping. Um, in our in our city i mean mm-hmm. we're the city in the trees right i mean we got trees everywhere um mm-hmm. how about like one in three of those trees be a fruit tree yep okay you know and um and we're starting that program here so unearthing farm and market it's located on memorial drive it's across the street from the floor and decor um just down the street from the maynard terrace and memorial drive intersection and Essentially, it was uh, started because it's a piece of land that literally cannot be built upon. Um, Per FEMA regulations, it's illegal. Um, It's in what's called a floodway, which means you cannot put any buildings on that property. And uh, so the only thing that could possibly that land be used for is either a park or urban agriculture. Um, My friend, Krista Leonard and um, Virginia Sphinx, applied for a grant from the USDA, $300,000, one of seven grants that were that were given out that year. They got it to turn this piece of property into an urban farm that was based on mutual aid, mm-hmm. equity, um, everything that comes out of this farm that is sold at our farm stand is going to be at Walmart prices or lower. Okay, we're using a pay it forward model. So if you're able to pay more than that, we ask that you do contribute to the farm. Um, If everyone just added a simple four dollars to their grocery tab, we could sustain this farm forever. Mm -hmm. Um, That's excluding the grants that we have already applied for and are hopeful that we will be adding to. In addition to that, we're double EBT dollars. We are also giving food away. And then the food that maybe doesn't quite meet like produce standards, we're working with several local chefs to uh, make those foods, you know, like you think of like apples, right? That are a little too Mm -hmm. far gone, but they make really great apple jelly, right? Mm -hmm. Same, you know, same type of thing like that. And so making those food into shelf stable foods that we will again offer at our farm stands. So it's, um, you know, I mean, we're already starting to, you know, get things really rolling out there. um, And and we're really looking for um, community partners, you know, to come in and say, hey, this is this is what I want to do. And we've also worked with a lot of different uh, outreach groups uh, to try and just be um, 
you know, more aware, you know, there, there's a lot of information out there about black farming in America and how um, black farmers have in this country have been um, discriminated against. And, you know, mm-hmm. of course, a lot of people's land had been taken from them. Um, and there's like a whole history and culture that a lot of people, you know, aren't connected with now. And we need to we need to work to kind of repair um, the damage that has been done um, and pay reparations where necessary. Ooh, you said the R word. I did say the R word. <laughs> reparations. They're important. Uh, so, well, since you say that now, what does that look like to you? I have my opinion on it. What does it look like to you? Listen, there are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me mm-hmm. um, talking about that. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm just a white lady who like <laughs> tries to listen <laughs> and and do what she's told, um, you know, when it's the right thing. Uh, listen to, to other people. To me, I, you know, in my experience working with um, probably the most marginalized at risk black youth in our city, Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that you have to offer the reparations in ways that people can um, can receive it mm-hmm. that won't be to their detriment. Right. Um, because let me tell you, five hundred dollars cash in the pocket of one of our young men is doing more damage than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm gonna be with you, right? I'm gonna cut you off with it for a second. I'm yeah, I'm not for the oh, here's some some lump sum payments. Yeah. So I'm not for that at all. Yeah, but we we need to offer this. I mean, think of all I, I think when you when you think of reparations, you gotta think of all the things that were taken away. Okay. Right. What was that? Land. Mm-hmm. Education. Mm-hmm. Right? Um jobs. Yep. Your you businesses. Know, yep. Businesses. These were the things that were taken. So how do we, you know, tip the scales to favor those who historically and generationally have had the scales tipped against them? So to me, it's just a matter of tipping the scales in the opposite direction. Um, mm. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that idea. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the first thing they go to is I don't want to give out this. um this this payment and I'm like why does it have to even be a payment I mean because even now we see it like what you're just talking about we disparities we see it even to this day because through gentrification you have neighborhoods that's been impoverished they've had the the whole the white flight go out of all the money pull out of their area and go to the other end of town and now that people are moving back into town or heavily populated areas the impoverished area now the value of their property is going up but because of the properties going up, they can't afford the taxes because they're on fixed income, which may, which is enticing to the builders because it's the whole purpose of been doing out there. So it forces them out and the builder gets to buy it in at a low rate and they can turn around and flip it for four to six times that rate. And it's good if everybody was participating in that. But I have an issue with those who have been living there their entire life. And now all of a sudden they're forced out because they can't afford to live there no more. Let me tell you, I've had firsthand experience with this um, on this side of town and I'm looking over to the west side and I'm like, guys, you're a few years behind us right now. I need you to look over here and see what we did wrong 
and address it like yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there, there, and there's very simple things that we could do as a city and in policy to, to help with this. All right. Mm -hmm. So first of all, why are we taxing our elderly low income residents? Why are we even increasing their property taxes mm -hmm. on a fixed income? Come on now. Don't tell me that we're making enough money off of those property taxes to, to really make a huge difference in the overall budget. Okay, number one. Number two, why are we not making sure and proactively going out and educating our low-income elderly residents about what their house is worth mm -hmm. so they have an understanding of when someone comes knocking at the door, even though that that's more money than they've probably ever even conceived their house would be worth, you know, it's still not enough. They need to extract a hundred percent, 120 percent really of the the equity and the, you know, that they have put into that property to mm -hmm. be able to like pass down to, you know, to their families. Right. Um, other piece is even like based off the the small so we have the homeowner's exemption right mm -hmm. so if you live in a home you get a special tax exemption right right also if you are over 65 you get an additional tax exemption a lot of our seniors aren't even taking advantage of those exemptions because they don't know they don't know the other thing is a lot of them don't have wills mm -hmm. right in place so they don't and and we could offer that we could offer that to all of our seniors get get the lawyers together like let's get it done let's go and actively canvas out in these neighborhoods let's get our seniors taken care of in that way. And then, you know, finally for me, we have got to look at the um, predatory um, uh, ordinance violations that are occurring. So one of the ways that developers or people who are seeking to obtain properties really, um, you know, succeed is they will call seniors multiple times a day, you know, just all the time, just completely, um, you know, harassing them, essentially mm -hmm. saying, I want to buy your house. The other thing they do is they will call uh, like city ordinance, like code violations on them. And let's be clear, like everyone in this city could probably get a code violation called mm -hmm. on them at some point. But when it's targeting a specific you know, usually low income, elderly black residents in this city, we've got to look at that and say, there's something wrong here. We cannot be allowing this to happen. Um, and I think that there are some changes um, to the to the code violations, right? That mm -hmm. to the codes uh, that could that could take place to help with that. So. Yeah, we we've definitely worked. So uh, the other thing we do over here in Kirkwood is uh, Kirkwood Neighbors Organization has a committee called Kirkwood Cares mm -hmm. and we make critical repairs to elderly, low income seniors homes. So oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because like it's not just that cost. You have the taxes cost. Obviously, you have mm -hmm. insurance, which a lot of folks, since they own their home outright, they're not required to keep insurance. A tree falls on their house. That's done. 
mm-hmm. know, they have to move, right? Um, but all of that being said, like you get a your roof goes bad. You know, a roof is ten thousand dollars. Yep. You gonna and, and I mean, especially with the price of materials right now, mm-hmm. going through the through the roof, I guess, pun intended. <laughs> um it's too expensive. Plus, you have to hire a contractor. You have to make sure you're going to get someone who isn't shady, who is right. going to take your money and run. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on with that. So, you know, I, I think that we could implement a system like that citywide, where we put money aside into a bucket and say, okay. How can we, you know, use this um, and have an application process, put it through the neighborhoods and say, okay, find the neighbors in your in your neighborhood who are most in need. And like, let's mm-hmm. go through that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it can, yeah, definitely could be doing something as opposed to trying to disenfranchise people's votes and <laughs> take all that away. Mm-mm, mm-mm, yeah, none of that. So what's the importance of this seat to you? I think the important thing for me is to have someone who doesn't see this seat as a stepping stone to the next thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I already mentioned, I have no, I have no desire to go to DC. Um, No, no, none. (laughs) Not do with the traffic out there. No, I don't care about traffic. I have an electric bike, man. Um, Oh God. Yeah. yeah, You rub that in. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I sold a car to get that electric bike. All right. We are a one car household. <laughs> that that bike is my mode of transportation. Um, but no, it's, uh, you know, no, it's just, I love it here. Like, this is where I want to be. This is where I feel, you know, I mean, people use the word called in a lot of different ways. This is where mm-hmm. I feel like I'm supposed to be. And um, is Atlanta like I can't really describe it any other way than that. And so, you know, I'm the person that you're going to see getting breakfast at Petite Marche's and getting coffee, you know, at um, at HodgePodge and getting dinner with my family um, at, you know, Argosy or, or some other place in the in the um, in the district. So mm-hmm. and that's what that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see out of this. Um yeah, that's always weird too. I never thought of, well, I thought about it recently. It's like, why do you never hardly ever see any hardly any elected officials out in the streets? Because they scared. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's always because I, I mean I told you about the post I made. I'm like, I'm always out. You know, me and my family, hell spit, and I love to eat. I'm like, so for me, if it's another, you know, all the nice restaurants, I love Gwinnett County, I love my CD4 area, but all the nice restaurants are more in town. <laughs> so I'm always out around the Moreland areas. My, my favorite spot is Midway Pubs when I want to hang out. So when we get back into normality, I want to get back into Midway Pubs and have my drink and stuff. But then the other restaurants are through the city area. So I'm like, you are always, you will always see me out, always. And I'm like, come and speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come and speak. Yeah. Well, I think I think also, you know, one of the things with uh, being an elected official, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, There's a word that I'm going to like keep putting out there. And I think it's so important is leadership empathy. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to I'm going to empathize with those folks for just a minute and say that 
you know, just like I mentioned, having to like put a little piece of yourself and put it in a box, like, mm. cause you have to be able to turn it on. Right. You know, because you have to, to protect your heart, at least I do to protect my heart. I have to be able to put on the armor Right. Of, okay, this is Katie, president of Kirkwood, or this is Katie, the candidate. This is Katie, whatever, because it is my job to serve you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, it gets tiring. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. tiring. It's exhausting. But I think if you really want to do it, if you really want to wear that armor, then do it. Then do it. And then, you know, when you're tired of wearing the armor, like get out, do something else. You know, right. I mean, that's and that's in very much what I intend to do. I intend to give it my all while I can. Um, and then when I can't do it anymore to go do something else. So how is your husband feeling about that? And because and, I mean, because like you say, when you run for office and then you're out, let's say you get elected, even when you're not elected, you still putting your face out in the streets. Yeah. So people might recognize you. How was he feeling about that? Well, I mean, we kind of have that same thing um, because we we live in Kirkwood. Like Mm -hmm. it's like and that's what I love about Atlanta. It's like the small town mentality and like big city convenience. Right. Mm -hmm. So everyone in Kirkwood knows who I am, knows my face. You know, I mean, we can't go out to eat without somebody being like, hey, you know, what's up? Um, He is very much an introvert. Oh, Um, yeah, because he's IT. Yeah. mm -hmm, Yeah. um, And, you know, but one of the things that I am so if I could thank my younger self for one Mm. thing, and it would be to be smart enough to recognize in that man that with the things I wanted to do in life, I was going to need a man who was strong enough and willing enough to be my support system. Mm-hmm. Cause without it, I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. Right. And, um, I recognized that in him pretty early on and, um, you know, he's lived up to, you know, I wouldn't say lived up to superseded, um, my expectations and in, in that term, because he had to be fully on board for me to go, go forward. And he's, he's mm-hmm. really my biggest fan. Um, I always joke like everyone gives Batman all the credit. But listen, Batman wouldn't be shit without Alfred. Nope. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Africa for everything. You wouldn't bandage up his wounds. <laughs> nope. No. Like Batman would have been done the first day mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Alfred. And that's that's kind of how, you know, that's how us like outspoken people, let me tell you, anyone like that who hasn't like fallen apart and crumbled has someone. Yeah. Who, who was back there, whether that's a best friend or a parent or a spouse, you have to have someone back there being your support system. Yeah, you do. You need somebody to hold you up because you have those tough times to where you don't you, you don't want to hold it in because you hold it in. That's just a setup for destruction. Absolutely. So you need somebody that you can just yeah, you can talk to that's going to be your support system when you're going through it. Yeah. And of course, I have two young children, too. So, I mean, my husband is an excellent father and, Mm. um, you know, at different times, because, again, I was I was corporate. Right. I traveled for my job. I've been to Nigeria. I've been to Peru. I've been, you know, I've Mm. been um, all over the country, too. Um, 
you know, he was the the primary parent um, in those cases. And now there's been a period of time where I've been the primary parent and now we're kind of switching, switching back, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, but you still have... Well, I mean, outside of community service work, because that's, that's always ongoing. But you have free time, more free time than cor- Ooh, corporate. Because corporate have you tied up all day long, and then you try to get out and do events and stuff at night. It has you drained. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's crazy, though, because literally I could tell you right now, my whole life, I've been like that person who has, like, the email inbox where, like, everything was checked, like, all my emails are read, filed away, you know, like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> been like that my whole life. It's still like that with my work life. But right now I have at least like 10 different like active things in my email, plus like a bunch of other like second tier things that I'm probably not going to get to or, you know, might get to half of them because they're second tier. Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, everybody knows me and they're like, Katie, you know, um, I have, you know, I, I had a lady reach out to me um, via Facebook Messenger like, hey, I live on the second floor of my apartment. I've been to her house or her apartment before. Mm-hmm. Um, I live on the second floor with my two grandsons. I, I can't get up and down these stairs mm-hmm. and she's in like HUD housing. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's. She's on, you know, she just qualified for disability. They have no available first floor apartments in her complex. Like, you know, can you help me? So here I am, I'm emailing Natalie, I'm emailing our commissioner. I'm trying to like put all these pieces together mm-hmm. because I think that that's really important. Like that for me took precedent of everything, yeah. everything else. But then, you know, I have Miss Mary down the street who I need to be a project manager for the repairs that she needs on her home, um, as well as, I mean, anything That's and everything, childcare. I need, I need this, I need that. And ultimately the first pe- person people come to is me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, what are you gonna do? Say no. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, but you, uh, I mean, you don't want to get burnt out though. No, it's true. It's true. I agree. And you know, you try and pass things off as you can, mm-hmm. but it comes to a point where, you know, there's a reason people are coming to you, right? Cause you'll get it done. Cause you'll get it done. Yeah. And that's what's terrible about it, too, because because you will get it done, you get swamped. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say I've learned in my season years, sometimes you have to say no or pay, like you said, pass it on to somebody else. Yeah. Because I have reached that stage of I got burnt out trying to do everything, especially I think like we talked about it before my um, on the couch session. And the reason I got that going, because I was trying to be a mentor or. Yeah, a mentor to these youth that was going having mental health issues because I learned it from the gaming community. And because I have two older boys, I'm like, I would hate for my boys to be in a place to where they didn't have anybody to talk to. But then it got to a point to where I was helping so many people out and talking to them and speaking over them and encouraging them to like, kill themselves. I got burnt out. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me just turn into an episode. I'm going to have a, a counselor come on and y'all can ask him or her questions. 
And I'm gonna if you send me an email, I'm gonna pass it along to him or her and let y'all correspond to one another because yeah. it gets me overwhelming. Yeah, you have to know where your where your limits are for sure. Um and I mean, on top of that, then you have to, as I mean, we've been talking about being a council person, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a council person yet because I still got to win the job. Right. And the job ain't about necessarily having, I mean, you can have all the good qualities, but if you can't market yourself accordingly, like you're not going to be able to win the seat, unfortunately. Right. That's the reality. And so in order to market yourself, what does that take? Money. Yep, money. Yep. Money. Um, you know, this whole like poppers clause uh, in the, uh, you know, you, I don't know if your listeners would would be familiar. I know you are that you can you don't have to fill out any disclosures if you agree that you will only raise two thousand eight hundred dollars or less total for your campaign. And that is the complete and total joke because $2,800 ain't even going to cover like your basic fees Mm -mm. um, to get your stuff just off the ground. Um, It costs so much money to run a campaign. I think bare bones, you know, a very, very small race, you're talking like $25,000. These city council races are going to cost, I mean, well, I can tell you right now, two of my... um, opponents in this race already have over a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. That's a lot. I think I was arguing with somebody about that. And we were talking about, uh, what was it about BLM and protesting the corporations and stuff that don't speak out. And I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. Cause they would say, Oh, but they still support people that, that don't support like the John Lewis act and stuff like that. I said, but you know, it's on both sides though. I'm like, these corporations, they, they sponsor Republicans and they sponsor uh, Democrats. So I was like, so if you were boycotting one, you're going to have to boycott them for the other side as well, too. So I said, my whole thing is, and I said it to say, we need to get money out of politics, period. Absolutely. Period. Get money out of politics. Because there's no reason in the world why any race, I don't even care if it's federal, should cost that much. And then what really agitates me is, we get all this money together. We get all these signs up and we put them outside and have to get the, the people running. Don't run out, go out and get their signs. It's still left out on the side of the road. Even now, the past election cycle they just went through, it's still <laughs> signs out on the side of the road. Or how about putting signs on the public right away where you have no permission and it's actually illegal to put signs. Like, right. can we talk about that for a minute? Because I'm a rule follower in like certain sense. Like, I cannot stand, but no one... No one think. I mean, everyone thinks that that's okay, or I don't know. Do people think that that's okay? Because mm-hmm. like going up and just putting your sign in like on the exit ramps, it's illegal. Like it's not. It illegal. It's illegal. Like and you got sheriffs doing it too. <laughs> and you got sheriffs doing it. Like sheriffs are doing. Like, I don't understand this. I don't <laughs> understand this at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. And if anyone can go and put their sign up there. Then what I mean, I get it. it because they're playing the game, which the right. game is name recognition matters. At the yep. end of the day, most voters are not educated enough to make a real decision based on the issues. It's have they seen your name, have they yep. seen your face? Yep. And that's why money matters. And until we take the money out of it completely, 
Yeah, I think we should start doing more local debates too. <laughs> like with all candidates. I don't care if you're an incumbent. I don't care if you're an incumbent of 20 years. If it comes time for a lady, if you got enough time to get out and knock on somebody's door, it will have your people knock on somebody's door or not even knock on the door, just put a sign up. Then you got enough time to show up at least, if anything, at least for a debate. Yeah. The problem I see with local debates, and I would show up to anyone inviting me to anything, period. I'd show up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like unless, you know, unless I had something that was more important going on. Um, But the problem, the one thing that makes me slightly hesitant about debates, like when we look at debates on like the national stage or even the state level, Mm -hmm. you know, at least you have like a professional moderator there that the teams have all like talked and agreed to on the local level. I do get slightly concerned that, you know, um, depending on, it would be real easy to get someone who a didn't have control mm-hmm. uh, of the stage or B was definitely like slanting the questions um, yeah. towards one, one candidate or the other. Um, I think that in, you know, in bigger spotlights, that's harder to do um, in smaller spotlights. I could definitely see that happening, but I, I do it. I'd still show up. Um, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yes, I hear you on that. And that, that would happen. That really would happen. But I mean, I think, you know, if, like, especially somebody like you, I think you come out with your A game. So no matter what a person asks him or her, you know, you always have a clap back. You always have <laughs> a clap back ready to go, especially for people that's the incumbent. So if you're running against an incumbent, and you feel it, and we're not going to talk about any incumbents on the show. I'm just saying in general, hypothetically. Hypothetically. You have they, you have more things to look at over their span of work that they've done that you can speak against than they do of you. Only thing they can do is say what, you know, I've been doing or what I propose to do. And then you can always come back. Well, I'm sorry, you've been in here for how long? <laughs> and, and nothing, same as, same as, and I won't say his name, same as 45. Forty-five, you know, as much as I don't like him, I can't stand him. He uh, he had a ton of clapbacks because he made good arguments during his debates. He was like, "You may you making promises now, but you've been in office for God for how many years? Like how many decades you've been in office, and you still you still making the same promises?" Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I you know, like I said, it's a, to help with cutting the money out. So other avenues, I think, would be communication. Mm-hmm. But then you got to have money for communication. I just think when it comes to election cycles, I think that some of those things should be the price of them should come down. Like we shouldn't be shouldn't expect people to pay thousands of dollars just for an ad or millions of dollars for ads, depending on what you're trying to advertise platform trying to advertise on. And it should just be accessible for everybody. Well, and that's why I mean, you know, part of me wants to. It's tough. It's it's a tough call because part of me wants to just scream it from the rooftops, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let me tell you how difficult it was for me as a privileged, in the know, white lady to run for office. And if it's that difficult for me, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for someone who didn't have the experience with city government that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, who didn't know, like, I could call up my, you know, I could call up Matt Westmoreland. I could call up Natalie Archibong. I could call up, you know, uh, different people in the cities or, you know, different people I knew who really understood the system. And still it was difficult. So, you know, there's that part. 
um, that there's so many barriers to entry. And the other part of me wants to scream from the rooftops. Look through those disclosures. Look at them. Look who's taking money from the police. Mm-hmm. You can't be. A, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it right now. You cannot be a progressive candidate mm-hmm. in this atmosphere and be taking money from the police unions. <laughs> you might drop. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you look like, who you know, what march you've been in. No, you don't, you know. Especially in Atlanta. I would say, especially in Atlanta. Because what happened after that last protest and somebody was held accountable for snatching some kids out of a car and the other mm-hmm. white kids in front of them was hanging out their window, taking selfies and everything else. But the black kids behind them were snatched out of their car, slammed to the ground, tased mm-hmm. two to three times. And yeah. because they were held accountable for it, they all start quitting and start protesting against the person that was holding them accountable. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a sore topic for me. Let me just tell you, I have a great relationship with my zone six commander right now. Mm-hmm. I think he is a good person. I think him and I have had many uh, discussions about mm-hmm. what policing should be and the different the culture of policing and all this stuff. So I am not an anti police officer person. Um, I have a lot of friends who are, um, and that's okay. We have those discussions too, but no, I am not going to support the current system, which was, you know, essentially built on a foundation of, of people running after runaway slaves. So Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. Oh, Katie been doing some history. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Katie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what post I made yesterday, and I'm not gonna get on the the big world stage, but I'm like, I can still love somebody and hold them accountable. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm not opposed to police. I mean, hell, my my uncle retired police and FBI. I'm not opposed. I mean, I got cousins and stuff that sheriffs. And, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to police. I love the police. I mean, hell, at the end of the day, if you get into some trouble. Who are you going to call? You're not calling Tom and Bob up down the street because, you know, we still got laws in place. So if you come out here doing something reckless, everybody going to get arrested. You're going to call 911. But I still think at the end of the day, no matter how much I love you, I got to hold you accountable when you do something crazy. Same as me. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, you know, I have a, a, a gun permit and everything. But if I shoot somebody reckless in my yard, you're going to hold me accountable for it. Absolutely. I can scream my Second Amendment rights all I want. Don't mean anything I've done something wrong. You're going to lock me up. And I want the same thing that can happen to a regular citizen or civilian to happen to these police officers and those that's in power. The immunity is ridiculous. Yep. We got to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been like some things, you know, I think the uh, in Atlanta talking about the health and safety and how do we kind of combine those two? How do mm-hmm. we look at addressing quality of life issues mm-hmm. uh, by finding other um, avenues? They have what's called PAD, like the Police Alternative Division mm-hmm. um, Diversion Initiative um, in Atlanta that is that is being kind of like tested in zones five and six that it's hopefully going to expand beyond that um there are other things that we can do and there's no reason why we shouldn't have open dialogue and open conversation but let me tell you i'm not going to be ain't no well let's let's put it this way there is no police union that is going to give me money forget like me taking the money 
ain't no police union going to give me money because right now we are not seeing eye to eye. Right. Be in a position of power and let us have a conversation. Then we can talk. I mean, I think the same thing about corporate donations too, because again, like I said, you have to get corporate money out of it. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that if somebody's investing in you, they want something in return. And people argue with me about that before, but I'm like, if I'm uh who is Lockheed Martin mm-hmm. and I'm investing in your campaign, I'm not just going to just give you money and not expect something in return. Cause it's the same as just your ROI, your return of investment. What am I getting out of it? I don't care how much I like you. What am I getting out of it? Well, and I would say that sometimes, so my little pushback on that is that sometimes your policies align with certain organizations. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you are a pro-police candidate, yeah, they're going to give money to you because your your policies align with what is their best interest. Okay. So now if you are a pro uh, and, and some people are completely okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, for one, am a candidate who has a lot of opinions on housing and affordable mm-hmm. housing. Mm-hmm. All right. And that is not, and, and my opinions on housing are not actually in direct opposition of certain developers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there might be developers who give me money because they say, hey, listen, we're on board with what you're saying. We need to see this, this, and this. Now you might, I might not agree with everything that those developers do. And I might Mm -hmm. even try to hold them accountable, but I am the best candidate to represent their interests out of the field. So I, I do think that there are reasons why, you know, given the circumstances, but would I prefer just to not have any money period and to be able to run this race strictly on experience and who's the best candidate absolutely um that's what i want to do because then i i really believe that i'm the one who wins right but yeah, i can see that yeah. i mean it's like the ones with like companies for renewable energy because i'm all for renewable energy right right yeah i would take all the money they would give me because i'm all for because i know who was it georgia power was who well they lobbied hard against that and i would take any money you give me to help fight that Right. Right. And at the end of the day, I will say now, you know, here's the other thing I will say with that. Um, money is green yes. <laughs> regardless of where it comes from. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it spins the same no matter who 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 gives it to you. So I, I don't I think this is where that leadership empathy part of me comes into play. But at mm-hmm. the same time, if you see a consistent pattern and you see that, OK, why? Why are these people giving this candidate money? And I think that's a question that you ask. And mm-hmm. then you either hear their answer and like, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. Or you hear their answer and like, no, that's not for me. And so we have to be, you know, more informed and we have to question um, our elected officials for sure. Yeah. And they should be more informed. Cause like you just said, if you ask them the question, they should be, well, I didn't, anybody can give it to my campaign. I don't necessarily know who's giving to my campaign. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> Especially if it's a corporation. Yes, you do. <laughs> Listen, I know exactly who's given to my campaign. I'm sorry. And if especially if it's over, 
All right. For me, because I'm a different level, if it's over a hundred dollars, I know. Right. Mm-hmm. But if for, if it, if you, someone gave you over a thousand dollars, cause the max is 2,800. Right. Any one entity can give you, if mm-hmm. someone gave you a thousand dollars or more and you don't know them, you should probably like the, I don't believe that. First of all, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't right. believe. That. I don't. I don't believe because uh, trust me, I'm checking my act blue every day. I'm like, right. Oh, okay. Oh, look, I can pay. I can pay my campaign manager this month. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it don't matter. And I get it. A lot of people say, oh, well, you have those bigger uh, candidates out there or incumbents to where they have staff managing their stuff, so they won't necessarily know. But I'm like, mm, no, I still call shenanigans on that. I still caution it because like you just said, if it's over a certain dollar amount, I get the small donations. I understand those, the $1 or $2, those, those, but like you said, if it's over a certain amount, you know, (laughs) you know who those people are. And if you don't, if you, if you get over a thousand dollars and you don't know who, who that person is and your campaign manager hasn't at least given you like a a, a quick rundown of it. Mm Mm-hmm. You need to be getting on your campaign manager about that because mm-hmm. you need to know. You need to know who's supporting you. I, I don't. Yeah, because it's and like you said, now I'm not against donations. I really am not against donations. So don't get me wrong when I talk about, you know, corporate donations, stuff like that, because like you said, it depends on the corporation itself. And I get sometimes you get a lot of people that's donating. But I think still, like, who was it? Um, was it Marjorie Taylor Greene? I'm going to call her name mm-hmm. out or somebody yeah. else. And they had this. uh ex-KKK or white extremists donating to the campaign. And she was like, well, I don't necessarily know who's... And right now, now that you said it, I'm I'm agreeing with you. You Sometimes you might have to do a background check because if they're giving to your campaign, you're going to get called on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And either you're going to give a statement like, hey, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to gladly give them a refund because I don't support anything like that. Or you're going to dodge and like, you know, anybody can come to my campaign now, you know, as long as you donate, matter of fact, donate at www.whatever, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in that case, when, when you're talking about real, like bad shit, right? Like not like questionable, like bad shit, KKK, that's pretty bad shit. Yeah. Um, You like, yeah, just give the money back. That's mm-hmm. it. Like if you like, oops, my bad. Should have checked that one. Here's yep. the money. We've had, um, I know at least one last year uh, or last election cycle, there was one person and he was found out, you know, it came out after the fact or after he had donated to like a bunch of candidates that mm-hmm. he was, um, you know, indicted for corruption or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, no one knew that when they, when he donated. And so then all they did is like, Oh, listen, yeah, I see that he was indicted for corruption. I'm giving his money back. Yeah. I mean, cause you can't control all the money that's donated to you, but yeah, no. at least thing you can do was address it. You may, you don't have to make a public announcement about it. Just get the money back. And if somebody do ask you about it, yeah, you know, we saw that that's our bad. We didn't know. I mean, cause you're not going to know, but we get in no. person money back. No, I mean, I'm not going to make an announcement unless, unfortunately, you don't find that shit out until usually <laughs> some news come out. <laughs> news come out. I'm like, oh, man. So have you had any, I mean, why we asked, talking about that, have you had anybody that you've seen that's kind of shady donate to your uh, your campaign? I'm going to let, I'm going to let other, oh, <laughs> donate to my campaign. Yes, to your oh. campaign. No, I know all the people who donate to my campaign. <laughs> 
I was gonna say I'm gonna let other candidates. Um, oh no, yeah, we're not talking about other people on the show. No, we're just talking no. about you. No, I'm no, I, not that. I mean, for the most part, I have, I know anyone, especially anyone who's donated like fifty dollars or more. I mean, I've had a mm-hmm. few, you know, uh, friends of mine will put my stuff out on Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, and then I get like a bunch of like five, ten dollar donations from there. And yeah, no, do I know? which each and every one of those people do nah but if someone donates you know 50 or 100 dollars like i've at least you know i've sent them a thank you note i at least know who they are mm-hmm. um and for the most part i know all of those people personally okay so now as we wrap it up what would you like to see happen around your area because me as a Georgian, I'm going to start asking a question a lot more, even people that's not even running for office. Like, what, what's your ideal future of Atlanta and Georgia going forward? We're not even going to talk about your own current area where you're running at. Like, what's the vision for the city and the state for you? I think the vision is to see Atlanta live up to the dream of the civil rights legends that the city birthed, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I live less than a mile and a half from where Hosea L. Williams lived while he was in this city. I mean, Hosea L. Williams Drive is, is, I can almost see it from my front porch. Um, I go to church. My church borders um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s childhood home. Mm -hmm. Um, And and for every one of those, there's probably a hundred more, you know, people who said like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to make this a city where it's too busy to hate. We're going to do all this great things. And I mean, I think the dream is valid. I just don't think we have done what we needed to do, whether that is for, um, ignorance. Maybe we didn't know, maybe we didn't know how to get, to get there or maybe, you know, it's a little bit more sinister than that. People were too greedy, mm-hmm. for, you know, people at the top were too greedy to get us there. Mm-hmm. Um, people were too concerned about, you know, who they were sitting next to at the next black tie gala um, to worry about what was happening down on Boulevard or down on, you know, Lowry or Neal Street or any of those places, Ashby at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we have the potential to do Mm -hmm. it. I think we have the exact right mix of people who have been here from the beginning and seen it and lived it all. And the people who come from outside with their, you know, shared experiences to make something great. There's something intangible here. Mm -hmm. And in order to live up to that, we, we have to find a bell curve, right? It can't be, you know, rich people live here, poor people live here, white people live here, black people live here. Um, you know, native Atlantans live here import, you know, um, people live here. We have to find a way where every neighborhood, every part of Atlanta has this curve. And we can do that through um, providing housing choice Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. eliminating exclusionary zoning, providing a, a good and sustainable transit system, improving our infrastructure. Like these things are done. Now you have to pay for it. Yeah, I get it. You have to pay for it. What is the biggest part of Atlanta's budget outside of the general fund? You got to take some of it from from policing in Atlanta. Like mm-hmm. that. That's just the fact. So, you know, I would just like to I would like to see that version of Atlanta. It is kind of like the dream realized. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see for my kids. That's why that's why we're here. I believe that I'm like you. I, I think that growing up here in Georgia and seeing how Georgians are and everybody loves, you know, the Southern Bells and the us Southerners and y'all and everything else. And then having the implants come in, people come in. I keep saying implants, but I do appreciate you all coming in because it lets us know that, you know, we're doing something right here. Everybody come in with us, jobs or not, we're still doing something right here for you all to come to our state. I think we need to get more connected. Like you said, we need better, we need transit across this entire state. I think everybody, if this is truly an embodiment of people, let's treat it like it's an, a body itself. Let's connect every cell, every structure. So everybody has ties to communication. They have ties to import exports of, of goods and stuff across this entire state where rural Americans can get access to proper health care. They get access to major corporations and jobs and stuff. And they can take that money from those jobs and take it back to their small towns. But we need transit to do that. And we need to cut lobbyists out that's opposing to get that transit out there. We need access to high speed internet so we can bring everybody up together. Everybody. Not how the major factors of those cities and stuff. We bring everybody up together. Because that's one of the biggest things that we don't have is once you get outside the perimeter in certain areas, you don't have access to high speed internet. And then so those businesses, people that have visions and people that want to create business, they want to be on Etsy and some of these other places, they can't do it because stuff is low. So they have to leave their area and come into city areas. So now you pull in money and tax dollars from out of the small towns and bringing it back into the bigger the bigger towns. I think Georgia can be a better Georgia if we all work cohesively together to for the, the betterment of our youth, the betterment of our seniors, and the betterment of all people, all nationalities and all races, and get out of this whole, this bubble. Oh, I have, I'm going to use John Creek. I have this big money area over here, John Creek. I want to keep all the rich people together, but you, you're still paying taxes. So I think we, if you live, if we all live, because you need, what happened with Alpharetta? <laughs> yeah, same as Alpharetta. Alpharetta was built. It was built for wealth. They kept everybody out until it was time to start running businesses. They had nobody to come up there and work in their businesses because they didn't, they didn't, they weren't paying enough. So what did they have to do? They learned from, they, well, they partially learned from their mistakes. They start making affordable housing for people that can come in and live there because Georgia is big. And here, driving 40 minutes is nothing. But you're talking about doing it every single day when you have traffic come up or you have construction work or rain and thunderstorms and stuff. It gets that 45 minutes turns to an hour and a half, two hours. And people are not going to commute like that, especially for a job that's only paying $12 an hour. They're going to stay in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I think you you essentially um, hit the nail on the head um, just with we have got to do better because you know when I mean especially and I hadn't even addressed this yet but I mean Atlanta has the largest income gap in the country Mm -hmm. 
our wealth gap is on par with big cities in third world countries. Okay. <laughs> That's a problem when you have very rich, rich and very poor, poor, you know, your, your cost of living is screwed up. Your median income is screwed up. Your median, mm-hmm. you know, house prices is it's all, it's all out of whack. So we have like a reverse bell curve. We yep. got to work to make it more and, and boister up this middle class. And it's right now it, it's at an unhealthy level. And I think the, the good news is from that um, is even as unhealthy as it is, we still have something here. Mm-hmm. And so we can only, if we do the right things, we have the opportunity to see huge improvement in a short period of time. Right. right? It's always the kid who's last in the class who gets the most improved. Right. Yep. So, I mean, if we, we even get it, you know, partially there, we're going to see huge returns for all of Atlantans. And without, you know, the folks, if we don't bring up the people on the bottom, we're never going to be successful as a city. So how can people find you and how can people donate to you? Same thing I told my last candidate, we can't have great candidates win if they don't have money coming in and money doesn't have to be 10 to $20. You can give dollar because it's grassroots. We can do dollar donations, $2 donations. Every dollar goes a long way. So how can people find you and uh, donate to you? Yeah, well, it's all the same place. I make it pretty easy for you. It's www.kd4atlanta.com. K-D-F-O-R-Atlanta.com. And um, yeah, learn a little bit about my platform. You can um, volunteer with my campaign there. Um, We will be doing, you know, outreach days and uh, offering different options for volunteers if maybe you're not able to give. Um, But you can also donate to my campaign. And yes, every dollar counts. It's so important. I appreciate your support, whether it's a dollar, a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. I appreciate it. So one thing I do ask, and I'm gonna sneak this on you. (laughs) This is this not that I got you, but I do ask. We're faced with so much tension. We're seeing a lot of tension now. There's so much going on in the world in the world right now. So with so much negativity going every place, I ask for all of my guests, no matter what show it's on, to leave a word of encouragement for those. So at least we have some form of balance when you listen to PTG TV. So if you can leave a word of encouragement. Mm. You should have it coming in since you over there by MLK Boulevard and Jose Will. Yeah. It's all all the the, the the knowledge should just seep into you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's just so hard to to think of one thing, but if I could think of one thing, um, you know, I, I think that I would have to go back to that um, support system mm-hmm. piece. And I would say that to whoever's listening, you are loved, you are special, you are smart. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you feel that you are most alone, you are not. Okay. Amen to that. I'm going to give one because I have this kind of hit me recently. My thing is my word of encouragement is don't let your past dictate your step. Move ahead beyond those boundaries to open your eyes up to a new world of potential. Don't let the past mistakes or the mistakes of others 
keep you held down with a ball and chain and not allow you to move yourself forward. Because a race is easily won if you remove the chains and the weight that's holding you down. So I'm Antonio Hicks, again, Escaping the Matrix on all of my gaming streaming platforms. You can find me on ptg.tv.online. I thank Miss Katie Kissel for coming out to the, to the being on the show. I do encourage you all to support and I always say donate. Donate, don't necessarily mean dollars. Donate can mean your time too, because your time is worth some money too. So get out, show her some love. Like I said, I thank her again for appearing on the show. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, if you can, leave a comment. You know, like it, subscribe to the show itself. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. I love you guys. Happy podcasting.